0: Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. Well, good morning, Cross Lane. Welcome to week five of our series, Road Dogs. I want to start this morning by just asking you the question, have you been on any trips this summer? Have you gone anywhere interesting or fun? I know that Ryan and Lori, our our youth pastor and his wife and their kids, they're all grown now, but they did a really cool thing. They went out to the West Coast a couple of weeks ago and really, really enjoyed themselves, spent... Couple of weeks out there, I think, had a great time in nature. Some of you have already trekked down to Florida and been to Disney with the kids. I know that's a big deal for some of you, and I know that some of you have been camping, which doesn't make me jealous at all. And then some of you might be like my friend Michael, who uh, who travels quite a bit. Michael travels for work, and uh, you know, if I ask you the question, "Have you done any traveling?" Michael would say, "Yeah, I've done lots of traveling," but. Um, I don't know that he would count that as a vacation time. I think he, uh, you know, he works pretty hard when he's on the road like that, and he would look at me and he'd say, yeah, Brett, that doesn't count. That's not, that's not the same thing. Let's talk about this morning. Let's talk about Athens, the birthplace of democracy, the city of Socrates and Plato. Uh, I'm showing you right now the, the uh, theater at Athens. Isn't that beautiful? and uh, then we move on i want to show you the the stadium at athens built on the original site of the greek stadium that was there in paul's day and it is made 100 i'm told out of marble then up above the city on the acropolis the acropolis just literally means the upper city um, up above the city you, you see the parthenon which is a uh, you know it's just synonymous with 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 Athens and with Greece you think about that area of the world and you just automatically one of the things that comes to your mind is the parthenon uh, paul visited athens and we're going to talk about what happened to paul there now we have been studying from the book of acts and acts basically is a history of how the church got started what you know the pretty much the 30 years after jesus ascended into heaven he basically left it into the hands of the apostles and he said hey um, you know, go establish my church throughout the world, go and baptize, uh, make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Road Dogs is really a series about the second missionary journey of Paul and his friends Silas, Timothy, and Luke, and their efforts to do, and, and, and do what Jesus said, which is to basically fulfill the Great Commission, uh, go and, and make disciples and baptize them. And it starts, this journey starts in Antioch in Syria. It makes its way through modern-day Turkey. They eventually cross the Aegean Sea into uh, Macedonia, the part of the world that we would call northern Greece today. And in this series, we've been to places like Philippi, like Thessalonica, places like Berea, and it hasn't been easy for Paul. In fact, I would tell you, it's been really difficult. He has encountered trouble. He has had beatings. He has, has encountered riots and imprisonment. And now he has made his way to Athens. Last week, as we looked at the, the story that took unfolded for us in Berea, we read this in Acts chapter 17, verse 14. The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at berea so you can see that the team is somewhat splitting up those who escorted paul brought him to athens and then left with instructions for silas and timothy to join him as soon as possible so paul is escorted to athens probably by ship and now here he is probably alone in athens there's probably nobody with him and Paul is not the type to sleep in and, and wake up you know, late the next morning and watch a uh, recycled sports center from the night before. That's not Paul's style. Uh, even though he is, he's probably got a, a sore back from the beating that he sustained in Philippi, it's been some time since that happened, but no doubt he's still a little uh, ouchy from that in some way, I'm sure. Uh, even though he's alone, he heads out into the city to explore. He goes out. I think Paul uh, wanted to go see what the city of Athens was about. I think he wanted to be among the people. I think he wanted to get a lay of the land. And I think that Paul saw what you would probably see if you were to go to Athens. Uh, This picture is a uh, recreation of what historians think the Acropolis, or what we would call the upper part of the city, would have looked like. You can see the Parthenon, something called the Popolia, which is a, a kind of a fancy gate, is also included in this picture. There were temples up there that, that to, uh, today, if you were to go to this part of the world, you wouldn't be able to see. They're no longer there. And in this picture, you can see the, the, in the distance a huge 50 foot statue to Athena. Now, if you were fortunate enough to get to go to Athens or to Greece to see the sites, Um, you know, we would love to see all of the historical landmarks. We would love to see all of the buildings and the, the, the temples, the ruins. We would love to see all those things. We would love it. But if Paul went, he would have a, you know, when he was there in Athens, his reaction to the city would be completely different than our reaction today would be to the city of Athens. Paul's reaction to this city is going to challenge us today. He will challenge how we think about, how we talk about, how we treat people who are different than us, people who think differently than us, people who who live differently than us. Uh, Our our, our time today is going to be split up into four parts. We're going to talk about what Paul saw, we're going to talk about what he felt, we're going to talk about what he did, and we're going to talk about what he said. Part one, what Paul saw. Now, if we were to go to Athens today, we would see lots of temples. Temples, they would be everywhere. There there would be, uh, some of them would be in pristine condition. Some of them wouldn't even exist. They would just be in ruins. Uh, But if we went, what we would see, we would see history. We would see the history of Athens. We would see the history of Greece. Paul saw something different. We would see people with cameras taking pictures. You know, They would be standing in front of a certain landmark or a certain site, and they would be taking selfies with that particular vista in the background. Paul would have seen sacrifices. He would have seen active places of worship. He would have seen people offering uh, different animals to idols. We would see empty temples that had not been in existence for thousands and thousands of years. Paul would have seen priests and animals being led to slaughter. I think he would have smelled the smoke and the blood of sacrifice. We would see history. What Paul would have seen was worship. What we see today is different than what Paul would have seen. Paul would have seen a city full of people who were actively worshiping gods and goddesses, idols in temples, in the hopes that these deities would in some way return to the people good favor, that they would deliver something to them that would would make their life better in some way. Uh, This is an example of what I'm talking about. Up on the Acropolis, there is a small temple. This is the temple of Athena Nike. Uh, And the question is, why is that there? What is that temple all about? In the year 489 B.C., this is 500 years before Jesus shows up, the Persian Empire, under a a king named King Xerxes, uh, launched an invasion of mainland Greece. And the Persian army was a massive army. And as big as the army was, their navy was even bigger than that, and they, they enjoyed tremendous success. They, the Greeks were retreating from them. They, they were no match for this army that the Persians had until the Greek navy was able to lure the Persian navy into the Strait of Salamis. And when they did that, everything got bottlenecked. All of these Persian ships were kind of bumping into each other, there was no place for them to go. They got in and they couldn't get out, and the Greeks were able at that point to take advantage of this sitting duck of a navy, and they routed them that day. And it turned the tide of the war, and the Greeks are victorious, and they drive the Persians out of Greece. And the response of the Athenians was to build the temple of Athena Nike. Now, you'll notice it's up high, and you, you, it, it's overlooking the city, and if you really look, you can see in the distance in the background you can see the, the Strait of Salamis. Uh, Athena is the patron goddess of Athens, and I don't know if you know this, but um, Nike is really the word that we get, f- that where Nike gets their name. It's In Greek, you would say it Nike, and Nike means victory. So when you see the swoosh mark on a Nike shoe, really the, the, the origins of that is from the Greek, and it was the term uh, victory. And the idea was that, Uh, Athena is the one who gave us victory and they would have said the goddess Athena is the one who saves us. The people of Athens worshiped gods and goddesses and, and, and hoping that they would return to them in some way the things that they needed for their life. Their attitude would have been if we can keep Athena happy, if we can just keep Athena happy and keep the sacrifices coming, she will save us. She will protect us. She will provide for us. But there was this understanding that something, if something happened in the city and it was not good, if something, um, if they got conquered, if they experienced a famine in the land, uh, it was because the gods were unhappy that they had not done something to uh, keep them placated and keep them happy, they didn't do something right. So the consistent question in the Greek mind was, are we okay with the gods? They were constantly asking that, are we okay? with the gods and as long as you keep them happy as long as you keep them appeased they will give you what you need they will give you the safety and the security that you desire they will give you prosperity they will give you happiness this is the relationship that the greeks had with their gods we would see history paul saw worship now you might be thinking to yourself thank goodness that we don't live in a city that is, is, is like that, where there are temples everywhere and, you know, people bowing down to idols and, and gods and goddesses, and, and that the quality of our life is not dependent upon our relationship to these different gods. Thank goodness we are not uh, like the Athenians. But if you think about it for more than just a few seconds, you come to a place where you might not be so sure that we have an idol problem ourselves. In fact, I'm not so sure that we don't have a worship problem in our country. What what would Paul say if he were to come to our fair city? What would he say if he were to come to our homes or if he were to watch us live our life for a week or two and see how we spend our free time and see what we what we get excited about and see you know what we devote all of our time and money to? I think what Paul might say is, wow, you guys have an awful lot of idols. There are all kinds of things that you are bowing down to in the hopes that that thing will give you the significance and the the fulfillment that you think that you need. A a couple of weeks ago, I told you about a pastor named Timothy Keller, uh, who is a pastor in New York City. He has some really helpful language around what Paul might have been trying to say when he talks about uh, the things that we bow down to. He said, you know, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning then i'll know i have value then i'll feel significant and secure have you ever felt that way about something you ever had something in your life or maybe someone in your life and you thought if i just had them if i just had that if i just got that new car if i if we could just live in that neighborhood if i could have that job then then i would have significance and i would be secure and everything would be okay in my world. Here's another question for you this morning. What is that in your life? Let me ask it this way. What is that in your life? Status? Reputation? Money? Is it relationships? Maybe love? Is it sex? What is that? For Christians, sometimes that can just be being good they say you know if i could just be good i'll then i'll have value Um, if you're a parent sometimes that is all tied up in your kids you know if i have kids if my kids look like this if my kids are smart and they achieve academically if my kids go to the right school if my kids succeed in sports i remember when my kids were little i would see other parents and i think sometimes even i got caught up in the whole thing about you know, look at my kid, look how good my kid is, and, and, you know, he's going to be a professional athlete. I remember the day I realized for the first time that my son was not going to be a professional athlete. It was liberating <laughs> for me. Unfortunately, a lot of uh, guys did not reach that conclusion as quickly as I did, but I, I too fell into that kind of thinking. You know, we think, you know, if our kids will just be this, then I'll have value. We do have an idol problem, and I think America might be a little bit more like Athens than we care to admit. What is that in your life? You were created for him. And what we've got to understand is that the deepest longings of our heart and the core needs of our soul will only ever be met and satisfied in Jesus. And Whatever your idols are they are never going to completely fill you up Whatever it is that you're chasing other than Jesus will always leave you lacking will always leave you wanting more And sometimes we can waste years maybe even decades learning this valuable and tough Lesson and I just don't want that to be a part of your story that you would waste years and years chasing after something only to realize once you've tracked it down and chased it down that it really doesn't deliver the fulfillment that you thought it would. You see, you were created for Jesus. Find your value. Find your significance. Find your purpose, your meaning in a relationship with him because that is the only place that you are ever going to find true fulfillment part two of our conversation what paul felt i want to take you to acts chapter 17 verse 16 while paul was waiting for them in athens he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city he was deeply troubled by what it says, by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. One translation when it comes to this passage says Paul walked around the city and the more he walked around the city, the angrier and angrier he got. Paul is troubled. He is deeply moved. He is distressed. But what is it that's bothering Paul so much? Is it because Paul is a monotheist and he sees all this polytheism going on all around him and he's he's offended and, and he believes that there would be one God and, and he sees all these people Serving all of these different gods, the temple to Athena, the temple to Hephaestus, the temple to Poseidon. And he's just offended by it all. Is that why he's troubled? It could be. Maybe it's because he's Jewish. And, and for a Jewish man, it's all about the Ten Commandments. And it says right there in the Ten Commandments, Thou shalt have no other gods, and you will not make idols. And he's walking around, and he sees all these idols, and he's just troubled and he's offended is that it it could be but i think beyond all that stuff in reality the Ath- the athenians didn't know jesus and i think that that the people of this city are separated from god and they don't have a relationship with him and they don't know the freedom that christ can bring they don't they don't know the peace that can come from being a follower of jesus so they're constantly asking the question am i okay with the gods am i okay with the gods and paul would say if you would turn to christ the permanent answer to that question would be yes yes you are okay with god the athenians did not know that freedom they'd never placed their their faith in christ therefore they didn't have the peace of christ a peace that goes beyond even our our ability to describe to people what it's like they didn't know the joy of following christ a joy that sometimes can be so deep that it cannot be touched by by mourning it cannot be touched by hardship or by suffering or by tragedy paul is troubled because the people of athens don't know Jesus. I think Paul would have looked at the temple of Athena, Nike, and he would have said, there is no hope in Athena. She can't save you. There is no hope in Zeus. Zeus cannot save you. And he sees these people, and they're worshiping all of these gods, and, and their, their hopes are that um, they will somehow deliver the things that they need for life, prosperity, happiness, crops, A family children and it breaks his heart and he's deeply saddened by their uh, their false security in these false gods here's a question for you are you deeply troubled by the people in your life who don't know Jesus does it trouble you that there are people in your life that you're close to that really matter to you that you you love deeply that they have not experienced the freedom that comes from knowing Jesus, the joy that can be known, the peace that is available to the Jesus follower, friends, family members, co-workers, classmates? Does it bother you that they don't know Jesus, that they're separated from their Creator? Are you deeply troubled that people mistakenly believe that bowing down to this idol or that idol, whatever it is, status or money or sex or power or, or kids or relationships, work, that somehow that's going to give them the thing that they're looking for, that those things will never be able to completely meet the deepest needs of their soul? Does it trouble you? And what do you do with that question? What do you do with the the people in your life that you love, that you're close to, you love them so much, and they, they don't know Jesus, and they won't acknowledge him, they think differently than us? They believe differently than us. They live differently than us. What sort of relationship should we have with people who are different? What sort of relationship should we have with people with whom we disagree sometimes? One of the ways that we respond to people who are different can be summed up with this. If you drive out of Berea on your way to Athens, you can take a little detour to a place called Maturo. This is built up on a massive rock formation and on top of this rock formation are monasteries. And the story is that in the Middle Ages, the Turks started to move into Greece. And some of the Christians there decided that You know we don't want to be around the Turks. They're different from us. They live differently than us. They talk differently. They think differently. They're Muslims, and and we disagree with them, and we don't want to be around them. And so they retreated and they isolated themselves way up on these rock formations. Here's another image to help you understand (laughs) what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's uh, that's way up there. That's a a long way up. And they say, you know, we're going to live up here on these mountains and. Uh, We're going to have our own little Jesus community and we're not going to interact with you. We're not going to be around you Because we disagree with you and so we're not going to have a relationship with you We're not going to reach out. We're not going to try to connect We're not going to talk to you and really the only way to get up there was by some rope ladders that they had constructed That was the only way up and the only way down and you might be thinking okay Brett That's an extreme example, and I don't know that that example really applies to me. I would never do that to somebody. That's not how I treat people that are different from me. But you know what? I think I do. I do that. You can get into a conversation with a friend of yours, and you discover that they believe something radically opposed to what you believe. And it's something that you really care about and and if that's me, a lot of times I just kind of hit reverse and i I take a few steps back and and it's not long that I, I start to distance myself because I don't want to have those awkward confrontations and i don't want to and I just kind of can feel myself uh, relationally moving away from them, or your neighbor walks out into their front yard and And Plants a political sign in the yard and it happens to be for a candidate that you don't like and you don't agree with their Policies and you don't think they're good for you know your community or your country or or your life And so you've got some real problems with that and you say I disagree with that Uh, I don't think that's how our town should be run or that's not how our, our country should be run And you can just find yourself moving away from that person because you are uncomfortable and so relationally there becomes a distance now, we don't build monasteries on cliffs, but we do put distance between us and others. When we are deeply troubled, and the key word here is by, when we are troubled by people that are different from us, they believe differently from us, they live in ways we disagree with, when we are troubled by other people, what do we do? What we do is we, we move away from them. I do it. I think you do it as well. But that's not what Paul did. That's not the re- response that Paul had. It brings us to part three of our conversation this morning. What did Paul do? What Paul did, Acts 17, verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day with those who happened to be there. Paul said, you're deeply troubled by... Uh, you, or you would say to Paul, you would say, Paul, you, you seem to be deeply troubled by all these idols that you're seeing. Uh, are you going to go back to the hotel and pull the blinds and, and just kind of go to sleep and try to get away from it all and say, I can't deal? And Paul's answer would be, no, I'm going to go to the synagogues. I'm going to go to the marketplace. I'm going to engage with people. And he, so Paul goes to these places and he speaks and he, he's going to live with people who live differently than him, who think differently, who have different philosophies than him and in many ways he disagreed with these people he had been raised a completely different way sometimes than these people had been raised but he's going to connect and he's going to converse and he's going to talk to he's going to learn their names he's going to hear their stories he's going to get to know who they are he's listening to the stories he's sharing his own story i think he ate with them i think he did everything he could to to try to connect and to build relationships with the people there in Athens. Paul is not troubled by these people that are different than him. He doesn't move away from them. Paul moves toward them. You see, when you are deeply troubled, not by someone, but you are deeply troubled for someone, when you care about someone, it creates a different emotional response, and that response is compassion, compassion. It's empathy. What do you do when you are troubled for someone? You move toward them. It's not being troubled by, it's being troubled for, where there is love and compassion and empathy. That's what Paul felt. This is huge. This is like the central message of the Bible. Think about it like this. God is so deeply troubled for his creation What does he do? He sends his son. He becomes one of us. He moves toward us in our direction. Think about Jesus' life. What did he do? Who did he hang out with? Jesus is described as having hung out with sinners and tax collectors, gluttons, prostitutes, people that were very different from him, people that he would have had a really different philosophy Than they did he would have lived his life completely different than many of those people lived theirs people who made wrong choices Jesus moved toward those people. He didn't move away from them In Jesus language, he said it like this. I'm here to seek And save the lost people who are confused people who are lost That's why i'm here And that's what i'm all about Jesus is a story of Of God moving toward people who don't think like him who don't necessarily carry the same philosophy or ideas his creation and it is he moves toward his creation and it is the central story of the Bible and for the Jesus follower it's the central mission of what we're supposed to be about Paul had been an enemy of God and then he is converted miraculously he sees this vision he encounters christ and he starts to mimic jesus he started moving toward people paul why are you in athens and you're so beat up you you've been through so much in the last several weeks and months your back is a mess and paul is wounded he doesn't have his team more than likely he's very very tired he's road weary why doesn't paul just say okay time out i'm just i need to take a break i'm gonna just pull myself away i'm gonna rest i'm just i'm not gonna press this right now i'm just gonna wait instead he's out there moving toward where does he get his motivation what makes him such a road dog here it is he was deeply connected with the god who had moved toward him when he was an enemy of god That's his story. And that's our story as well if you are a follower of Jesus. And you think about it and you ask, man, how do you do this? How do you find the strength, the motivation to move toward people who are so different than you? Where do you get the... The, the, the gumption to, to move in their direction that with, with people that make you uncomfortable or that you disagree with or maybe that, that bother you in some way. You see their directions in life and, and the decisions that they make and you think to yourself, I don't like that. And you just kind of walk away and you say, no, 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 I, that, I don't, that's not right. That, you know, what, the way they're doing it, it's not right. How do you find the motivation, the compassion, the strength to move toward those kinds of people in life. And the answer is by not losing sight of the fact that God moved toward you and by remembering your own story, that you too were an enemy of God before you converted and became a follower of Jesus. I would imagine that Paul's story was always at the forefront of his mind. And I think Paul would have said, I was an enemy of God and Jesus moved toward me and he rescued me. I think that thought transformed Paul's life. To be a Jesus follower, to embrace the mission of Jesus, to be one who moves toward in relationship, in love, and in service. So here's the big question this morning. Is there someone in your life that you need to move toward? Is there someone in your life that you, because they live differently, because they have a different philosophy, because you you kind of don't want to get into it with them, that maybe you have moved away from them in some way? Maybe it's deeper than that for you. Maybe your attitude has been that you are deeply troubled by. Is it time to ask God to change your heart so that you might be deeply troubled for them? Are you deeply troubled by them? And maybe you just need to ask God and say, God, I don't don't want to be troubled by them. I want to be troubled for them. And when you come to that place, it's going to cause you to move in their direction. It's going to cause you to think about how you can uh, be uh, beneficial to them, how you can be benevolent to them. Is there someone that you need to move toward? And honestly, it could be somebody that you've moved away from in your past believing mistakenly that That's what you needed to do that. That's what you ought to do Paul is in the marketplace. He's among the people he's engaging different ones in conversation He's he's sharing his story. He's listening to stories Paul. How did this go? How you know what happened? He, he gets into some debates with some philosophers some some Stoics some Epicureans And they made fun of him, and they called him a babbler. Man, this guy's not making any sense. I mean, listen to him. Listen to the way he's talking. I mean, he's talking nonsense. Some conversations went well. Many conversations did not go well. But Paul is out there among the people. He's putting himself out there, and it leads to something. Paul gets invited to speak to something called the Areopagus. You say, Brett, what in the world is the Areopagus? Well, first of all, it's a giant rock. It's called the Areopagus because it, it, it's, that means the hills, of the hill of Ares. And Ares was the Greek god of war. You may also have heard this uh, particular part of the world called Mars Hill because when, uh, before the Romans, in Latin, their god of war was Mars. And so it's, sometimes it's called Mars Hill. So the Areopagus is a place that Paul got invited to to speak on this rock. But there's another version of the Areopagus as well. Uh, this is a painting by Raphael from somewhere right around the, uh, the turn of the 16th century and Paul is preaching at the Areopagus and Raphael captures this moment where Paul is preaching because the Areopagus was not only a rock, it was also a council. It was an important council of leaders and philosophers of Athens. And back in that day, before the Romans were in power, it was kind of like the Supreme Court of Athens. These were the men who got to decide what gods got worshipped and what gods were to be left alone and not worshipped. So Paul gets invited to speak to this particular group of people. This is a huge opportunity for him. And then we come to verse 19. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, May we know what his, this new teaching is that you're presenting. In other words, Paul, tell us about your beliefs. Tell us what you think. Verse 20, you are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. So he's invited to this hugely important place, this Supreme Court type thing, to share his beliefs. And you think to yourself, that's crazy. So here's the question that I have for you. What would you say if you had been Paul and you'd been invited to the Areopagus to address this group of people? What would you say? And, and you know, I can almost hear your response before you say it, Brett, that you don't have to worry about that. I don't like public speaking. I kind of freak out when I get in front of people. I wouldn't want to do that. I would never accept an invitation to go to the Areopagus because that's not a good scenario for me. Well, let's let's change the scenario. You're with a group of your friends. And they say, hey, tell us more about your beliefs. Why do you, I mean, you go to church every week. Why do you go to church every week? Why do you, you know, from their standpoint, why do you waste your time doing that? Maybe your sister, who's not a Jesus follower, looks at you one day and she says, sis, uh, you know, I don't, you're so faithful to God and you're, you you know, you're, God's such a big part of your life. Why is that such a, a big deal to you? What would you say? What, what would you talk about? Where would you start? How would you, where would you go to try to help them understand what all this means to you? That is a really, really important question. And it's a question being asked by a really, really important person. What would you say? You need a good answer to that question. So let's look at what Paul said, part four of our story. What did Paul say there's a long sermon recorded in the book of acts and we're not going to look at the whole thing today but i would encourage you to go back later in the in the book of acts chapter 17 and just look at paul's total response when he gets to the areopagus go read that sermon i think it would it would reward and benefit you but for our purposes here let's just break down what paul says the first thing he does he respectfully connects with these people and he does this first of all not by quoting the Jewish scriptures. You say, well, Brett, that sounds like a bad idea. Why wouldn't he, you know, why wouldn't he quote from the Bible? I mean, that's what he knows. That's what he believes. But Here's the thing. They don't know the Bible, nor do they believe in the Bible. And if Paul had started off with, now Moses said, they would have looked back at Paul and said, who's Moses? We don't care about Moses. We don't know anything about Moses. We don't believe in this, Moses you're talking about what Paul does Is he shares what he believes from their world? He doesn't ask them to come into his world He crosses over into their world to understand them so that he can explain what he is about Which brings us to the second thing that Paul does he gets into their world He explains to them so that they can understand What he believes and he does it from their world so he doesn't even quote the, the Hebrew Scriptures. He does, however, quote Greek poets. Look at verse twenty-eight: "For in Him we live and move and have our being." Some scholars believe that Paul is quoting Greek prophets, uh, Greek poets. There, it goes on as some of your own poets have said. So he's now he's just telling you, "I'm quoting your poets." We are His offspring. He doesn't use His world; he goes into their world. Then he does something else. He references. This particular altar, now, not this altar that I'm showing you. This is this. Is, these are what are known as the the statues or the idols or the altars to the unknown god. And he's been out in Athens and he's gone come across one of these uh, altars to the unknown god. This one that I'm showing you is found in a museum in Rome. So we know that these altars existed. And he says, "You have this." altar to this unknown god and it's showing you something it's showing you that you are missing something and you even readily recognize and admit that you're missing it verse 22 paul then stood up in the meeting of the areopagus and said people of athens i see that in every way you are very religious and again he's respectful And then he says in verse 23 for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship And this is what I am going to proclaim to you You see the Greek mind was all about we've got to keep the gods happy If we don't keep the gods happy um, then bad things are going to happen to us and as long as we can do that everything's going to go fine They'll bless us, but if we forget something or if we if we forget one of the gods then something bad might happen to the city and That means uh, that we've neglected these gods in some way, and we don't want to do that and One of their worries was is that they would completely forget a god entirely so what they did is they had a statue somewhere And it it represented the unknown God, the God that maybe that they hadn't thought about or they couldn't explain. And so they had an altar set up for this God as well just to cover all their bases, just in case. And Paul says, look, this isn't working. You guys are missing something and you know you're missing something. The fact that this altar exists reveals that you guys know that you're missing something. So he respectfully connects with them. He goes into their world to make his point And then he he reveals to them that they're missing something, and then we come to the the last thing he does. He shares Jesus with them. He says, look, for, for hundreds of years, you've been worshiping other gods, but now God has revealed to you the ultimate sacrifice that has been made so that you never have to worry about offending the gods again. You just need to recognize that God Offered a sacrifice for you on your behalf and he's the one that did it You're okay with God if you will just simply trust him and now it's time for you to leave all of these other gods behind and trust Jesus Paul said it's true and God proved it by raising him From the dead so he connects with them respectfully He helps them to see what they're missing. He shares Jesus with them now you will probably never be called before the supreme court to address the supreme court and your beliefs you'll you'll probably never be called to to testify in that type of a setting but you are responsible for something else you are responsible uh, for the people in your world the the apostle peter uh, said it like this in his epistle he said always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Just like Paul, with gentleness and respect. You might ask, how did Paul know all that stuff? How did he know about these temples and these gods? And how did he know about these other poets and things like that? And the, the answer to that is simple. When you care about people, you learn what's important to them. When you care about other people, you figure out what makes them tick. When you care about other people, you get involved in their life. You learn about their philosophies. You learn what's important to them. You open your heart. And when you open your heart, you find out what is missing in their world. And you figure out how to connect. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. When you're sister or your coworker, or your friend or your son or daughter comes to you and says what's up man i mean i see how devoted you are i see the way you live i see how devout i see how important god is in your world help me to understand why that's important to you will you know what to say so the question is what happened paul does this he talks to them at At Mars Hill or at the Areopagus what 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 happens next what was their response how how did it go verse 32 when they heard about the Resurrection of the dead some of them sneered (laughs) So it didn't go well But others said we want to hear you again on this subject now Let me just translate that for you. That's kind of like have your girl get a hold of my girl, right? Um, Let's do lunch. It's you know sometimes people say that they have no intention of doing lunch together That's kind of what this Phrase means, you know, we want to hear you again on this subject. They don't give a time or a place. It's like, yeah We'll listen. We'll, we'll do this again sometime When and, and you know when you hear that sometime is never going to happen that in other words We're just going to move on from this conversation and it says in verse 33 at the, at, at that Paul left the council In other words, they clapped him off They're they're, they're not buying it they, they, they are not sold on what it is that Paul is selling so you ask yourself the question Well, did Paul bomb? I mean, you know, did it it just all bomb? And then you come to verse 34. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Now, Dionysius was a member of this supreme council, this supreme court that was a part of the Areopagus. This is a highly, highly influential dude okay he he's he's connected he's smart he's he's a player he's he's in on it he's part of this big group if you will allow god to move in your heart to be troubled by people who are far from god and to not really be troubled by them but to be troubled for them And if you will move toward them and build relationships and seek to understand them and share Jesus, sometimes they are going to dismiss you and they're going to clap you off the stage. And they're going to say, okay, you know, we'd love to hear more about this at some time other in the future. Let's do lunch sometime and we'll talk about that. Okay, bye-bye, we'll see you. And at other times, a member of the Areopagus is going to place their faith in Jesus. And what might God do with that guy? What influential person is in your world that if you just opened your mouth and you shared Jesus, and by some miracle, they gave their life to Christ, and they became so influential? What if they went into ministry? What if they got as on fire for God as you are? What if if Jesus came to mean as much to them as he means to you, and they started to talk to their friends about Jesus? How might things be different? We don't know because there is no book of the Athenians. We don't know anything about what happened with Dionysius, but i got to believe that God did something big through Dionysius. I just have to believe that if God is going to allow Paul to, to touch his life and bring him to Jesus, that Dionysius spent the rest of his life trying to help other people understand who Jesus was. You never know who God might, what God might be pleased to do or whose life he might be pleased to change if you were to just take the chance and reach out to them and speak to them and you never know what God might be pleased to do in you if you just yield yourself to him and offer yourself and say God just use me in any way that you can. There are people in your world, people that you are close to, people that, that matter to you, people of great significance and those people know other people. What might happen if you were to share Christ with them? Are you ready to do that? Are you troubled by them, or are you troubled for them? If you're troubled by them, you're gonna separate yourself. If you're troubled for them, you're gonna move in their direction. And I pray that's what you do. Let's let's pray together. Father, we have somewhat been exposed by the message today because I think all of us at one time or another have been found moving away from people with whom we disagree. We've moved away from people that were different from us, that we didn't understand or that we didn't like their philosophies or their teachings or the way they talked about certain things. And we just, we created a distance. And Father, we do that partly because we're confused. We do it partly because we're afraid. We do it partly because we don't really know what to say but i pray that we would lean into you in those moments that we would not be troubled by those people but we would be troubled for them and that being troubled for them would mean that we see the compassion we have we see the empathy of jesus and it would compel us to move in their direction to try to get to know them to try to build a relationship to try to understand them and to try to help them to see who jesus is Father, this is a daunting task, especially in our society and the way information moves and is is relayed and, and the way we're connected. It's harder and harder to do that, but I pray that we would not give up and that we would not forsake our calling to tell other people who Jesus is. Give us the strength, give us the opportunity, and give us the words when that opportunity comes. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.